0: I study myself full, I pray myself full, now I'm ready to pour myself out. Most of the time, I don't know which way it's going to pour. The reason Judy travels with me, I told you this morning, because she didn't want to kiss me goodbye, the real reason she does, when I start chasing rabbits, she kind of waves at me. She says, okay, okay, Where, where are you going? Be careful. Aren't you glad for the rain? If you have your Bible tonight, we're going to start out in, uh, I do not remember, y'all pop it up there, which one did I give you? I think I gave you Joshua chapter 5, verse 11. And, but before I get to that, as you're preparing, I feel like telling you as a church and as a body, Ecclesiastes, I wrote this down, so I'm going to give it to you, to everything there is a season and a time to everything. Purpose under heaven. To everything there is a season. Then there is a time, what? Under heaven for every purpose. Quickly, I'm going to share with you right on, just on this scripture, because I don't know who needs it, but receive it. The word season is your window of opportunity. That is your moment for what God is doing. Don't miss your opportunity in your moment of opportunity. Hello. I mean, if a fire broke out in here, you'd be looking for those red signs. Right? And you wouldn't take any opportunity to say, oh, which, what, oh should I? No, no, you're going to get out. Amen? I was not, I was flying. I forgot where I was going. And I was on the plane, and it put me in the, I like that row where you, you're by the exit thing, exit door. And the, and the lady comes by, and she's very nice, and she says, I want to know if anybody, anybody here cannot open this door. And I was sitting right beside it. I said, I'm fine. My problem is I'm going to jump out first and have a man for himself. It's up to you what you want to do, you know. But when there's a time of an opportunity, opportunity is that moment. Mm. Oh, my goodness. If you go and look at the word opportunity, there is a word that's used, I believe it's in, I, don't quote me here where I got this. I'm just bringing it back to you. I, I, I think it's a Chinese saying, but I'm not sure, okay? But it is somebody's. It's not mine. The, the, they take an arrow, and they shoot it through a cylinder like a pipe. And as they shoot it through that cylinder like a pipe, it gives that arrow true direction to where it's, fo- where it's going. You know what they call that cylinder? Opportunity. And what happens in your life An opportunity, sometimes you're in the dark part of the cylinder and you don't understand. All of God's arrows don't go, whoosh. Sometimes they go, whoosh. Amen? God's never worked fast with me. It's always slow. He's an on-time God, but every time he works with me, he's slow because he doesn't do it on my timetable. Can I get an Amen. But I want—I don't know who I'm talking. I think I'm talking to this whole body. Your opportunity is where you are right now, and God is aiming you as an arrow. Hello, you got to get through this opportunity, and you'll come out in daylight on the other side, and you'll hit the target. Amen. Anybody receive that? Say amen. Because I feel like God is putting some things in my spirit. I'm going to read this scripture to you again. To everything there is a season, that's your opportunity, and a time. Time is your part. What are you going to do with your time? We spend a whole lot of our life waiting on our time, and it shows up, and we don't recognize it. Amen. So there is what? Season. Time is your part. Then it says, for every purpose under heaven. Purpose is God's eternal plan. Does that make sense? Season, time, purpose. We are placed on this earth not to take up space and breathe. We are placed on this earth to do something for eternity that will be a purpose to be here. And I do a lot, I probably have done a thousand funerals in my ministry, I don't even know. But a lot of times I will walk through a graveyard and look at old graves, I don't know why. But sometimes I will look at it and I will, I will think to myself, whomever is laying in here, and that dash represents your life, right? You're born, you die, there's a dash. Every one of us. And I think to myself, did you do God's Purpose. You're not going to be judged when you get to heaven on how much money you had, how your job was, where you lived. You're going to be judged by your faithfulness to purpose. Wow. I didn't know I was going to talk about this just for a moment. You getting it? I'm just kind of building a thing here to let you know. The reason you're here, now how how many years, you how long ago is it you started out here? You came here to this church. Seventy-nine. Now. Danny, you've been here 11 years as the pastor. Is that right? That's a lot of years. But he started with you, and he wants to complete the purpose with you. It's amazing how God works things out. He's not here being your pastor because he's his son. He's here for the purpose that God designed him when he was born into this family. It's not because of heritage. It's because of God. I'm here preaching to you tonight because this is part of God's dipl- d- divine plan and purpose in my life. See, when you understand that purpose is what God wants to do through you today. Uh, I'll read a text so y'all get comfortable here in a minute, okay? I just feel like we need to understand purpose. Why are you here? Wow. To work your job? No. There's a reason you're at that job. You know why you work the job you work? So you can fulfill God's divine purpose. Because there might be somebody that needs prayer. There might be somebody that needs to get saved. Purpose is kingdom work, kingdom ministry. It's all about his kingdom, not yours. Now, what's happened to the church in the past few years? We've got too many men who are building their kingdom. Hello? Hello? I spent 20 years at the Summit and Church. It's a 48-acre campus with a school of about 500 students. And when I left there 10 years ago, I said, "Don't you name a building after me? I don't want to be a named. I don't, you don't need to. Hello, it's not me. It's God's purpose. And when God's purpose is fulfilled, y'all got a minute before I preach? <laughs> you got five minutes more? I don't know, but I feel like the God is bringing it to my mind, and I think it's in. Second Kings 13, you might can help me, Bible scholar, that that's where he told the king to smite the arrows to the ground. That was purpose. And when he did it, well, he didn't do it but three times, I think. And the prophet got all over him. He said, why did you stop? And because he stopped and did not do it more than three, he said, you did not fulfill God's purpose. So you're not going to be able to accomplish what you thought. Don't stop on three. Don't stop on four. Don't stop where you are. You have a purpose. I don't care if you've got to claw your way to it. Do it. Are you getting it? You're getting quiet on me. I'll preach longer when you're quiet. What happened to this group? They all left us. Y'all got to shout louder. Y'all further back, okay? Let me get to where I'm headed. Judy's over here waving at me already. I'm glad she's not sitting over here beside you both of you. You'd be helping her, wouldn't you? Yeah, I know. (laughs) Throw the first scripture up there. Whatever I gave you, Joshua. I want to talk to you about what I've entitled Parched Grain Foretaste. How many has ever walked in a kitchen and your wife or your mom or somebody was cooking your favorite cake and while she wasn't looking, you, right? Boy, y'all looking as sheepish. I could put a Pope's hat on you, and all of you looking so godly right now. You've all done it. You'd get a little foretaste. Just why? What are you doing? You're not going to eat it right then, but you know what's coming later. Whew. Aren't you glad for desserts? Ah, I'm glad somebody invented them. There's one country, I can't remember where it's at. They eat their dessert first because they're afraid they'll die before they get to it. I feel the same way. That's the best part, right? It's like the lady they were burying, and she said, I want you to bury me. High. She said, bury me with a fork in my hand. And they said, why? I said, because every time I go to eat at the church, they say, save your fork, because the best is last. She said, so bury me with my fork. Amen. The best is coming. Whew. Get... Lord help me tonight. Oh, my Lord. I'm, I'm just fellowshipping with you and preaching too, okay? But when you talk about parched grain, this is where it's used. This is uh, Joshua 5.11. I'm glad I'm down here. I can read it down here now. And they ate of the produce of the land. And the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain. Say parched grain. And the very sa- on the very same day. This is the moment where they are looking into the promised land that they had been promised. Now remember, 400 years they were slaves. Forty years they wandered. So 440 years at least, actually it goes back further than that, to Abraham. When you understand they had a promise that you are going to inherit a land flowing with milk and honey. Those two words means abundance and a plentiful supply. Aren't you glad that God always provides? And he had promised them this, and now they're standing on the bank of the Jordan, looking across into the promised land while they're looking over there. And before they go, the Lord says to Joshua, I want you to do Two things I want you to do. Uh, well, actually, it ends up being three. First of all, I want you to circumcise all the male men. Why? Because the fathers that preceded them did not do what God said to do as a covenant. Hello? Fathers, we got a responsibility to teach our young men. The reason we got wild young men running around through America says nobody's teaching them. Come on. He said, you were supposed to do this, and because you didn't do it, you've got to do it before you enter the promised land because that is a symbol that you are in a covenant with God. Yeah. Come on. when you, you're, you're not on a contract. You're a child of God, and he's made a covenant with you, and he's made that covenant with you to let you know he'll take care of you whatever your circumstance is. He said, I want you, first of all, to renew the covenant. Second thing he told him to do was, I want you to have the Passover meal. What's the Passover meal? The Passover meal is looking back where you used to be and thanking God for your deliverance because you have been set free. You are a slave no more. I believe we were singing that one time today, weren't we? He said, I'm no longer a slave. I'm not in Egypt anymore. I want you to celebrate the Passover, and I want you to celebrate the fact that you have made it, and you are standing here by the grace of God. See, we must celebrate where we came from. I call it redemption lift. What that means is I have been lifted out of the miry clay. My feet are on the solid rock. I'm on my way to heaven, and I know the only reason I'm here is by the grace of God. Y'all getting it? Say amen. Y'all got to get louder over here. I can't hear you. I sound like that guy on TV. I better leave that alone, too. And when I say that, let me see what goes through your mind. I can't hear you. Yeah, Yeah, I heard you. Third thing, serve food from the land. They brought food back. It's amazing how God gives us a promise, and we don't trust him. Hello. Lord gave me a promise, and he gave me. How many times have you just simply stood in faith? Boy, faith's easy to preach. It's hard to live. Amen? Because you've got to do it day by day by day. I was thinking back this morning to when uh, I was talking to somebody about when I went to Lee. I was at Lee University. And all of these things happened. And I, and I began to think, I need to look back. Because I left the Navy. And two weeks later, I was enrolled in Lee. And I had no job, no house, no nothing. Everybody called me crazy. Guess what? I was but God provided me a house, provided her a job, provided me a job. Hello? What did I do? I walked by faith. I don't know if I'm that radical anymore. But it takes a radical faith to simply say, I just believe God. You gave me the promise. You called me to the ministry. You told me to go. Well, he I don't know if he told me to go to Lee or used Judy to tell me to go. Because I was a Baptist boy and I had no clue what Lee was. I had no clue. I was going to Lee and I didn't even know what the church of God was. So I don't know how he ended up there, okay? But God provided simply because I trusted him. Amen? So now they're giving each other parched grain. Parched grain in Hebrew means foretaste, down payment, earnest money. Did you get it? How many of you in here have a house? How many of you hear the bank has it and you're trying to buy it back from? <laughs> right? <laughs> Most of us are that way. But what do you do when you find a house? My first experience in buying a house, because I'd already li- always lived in parsonages, was when I was at Summerton, not, just not long ago. And when I had to buy a house, I had to give that person a check that said, This is earnest money. Which I make you a promise that if the bank follows through and everything falls in place, I will purchase that house. Anybody still with me? Earnest money says, I'll keep my promise. Earnest money says, I am a foretaste. I'd walk through the house. We looked at the house. We had to do some things to it. It was Judy's dream home. It was her dream home. We put Ernie's money down. We were preparing everything, and everything followed through. But the only way I could get them to hold that house for me was that I made a promise to them, I will do what I said I will do. And, buddy, I want to tell you, we moved into that house. She was so proud of it, and I was so broke. So that's the way it works. (laughs) How many of you men know you don't just buy a house? You buy everything that goes with it, all that stuff. Okay. I told her, I said, if she didn't live with me, I'd still be in boxes. (laughs) Hello? All right, you men are looking at me. But the promise is I'm giving you this as a foretaste of what's out there. Listen to me, pathway. You are getting a foretaste of what's out there. You can't eat the whole cake, so don't worry about it. But you get a taste of it, then you'll get another taste of it, then you'll get another, then you get, hello. God's not going to give you everything all at once. It'd kill you. You couldn't handle it. But he said, I'm going to give you this because this is a foretaste, and he's made a down payment. He's made you a promise. I wonder how many prophecies have been spoken over this church. I wonder how many times you've heard God say, this is what I'm going to do. You are at the brink. To everything, there is a season, and let me tell you, you are in your season. Let me tell you, this is your time to fulfill the purpose of God. There are people in this community that need Jesus, and he is going to use you as an instrument. You say, how am I going to do it? Go make them hungry by giving them a foretaste of what you have. Let somebody see Jesus in you, and they'll become so hungry to say, I want what you have. I want what you have. Hello? Hello? Foretaste means there's something coming. And he told them, he said, we're about to go across to the other side. I'm not going to preach about going over into promised land. You know all about that. They got into the promise. But let me tell you something. Wow. Okay, Lord. When you, as a church, move towards your promise, then you step into what God has promised, the enemy will show up. Oh, we're going to the Promised Land. This is what God promised us over 400 years ago to our fathers in Egypt, and before that to Abraham. Here we go, and as soon as they get in there, they end up at Jericho. What's Jericho? A barrier. What's Jericho? A stronghold. Just because you walk in the promises of God doesn't mean the enemy just goes ahead of you and parts the Red Sea. You know what I mean? He's always saying, "Oh, come on, it's okay. I just give." It. No, no, no. He will turn up the heat. I have found out in my life in those dire circumstances when I'm facing my severe trial is when God has already made me the promise, and I'm just about there. I told you this morning, David, only like three more days becoming king. You've got to understand God has made you a promise, and you've tasted of it. Keep going. Keep going. I said keep going. What God has promised you is yours, and there may be a Jericho. You know what happens to people when they face their Jericho? They stop on six. He didn't say walk around it six times. He actually told him to walk around 13 times, seven times on that last day. And we stop before we complete it. The wall of your barrier will not crumble until you do what God said to do. You can stand there and look at it. You can shout at it until your tonsils fall out. But it will not fall until you obey God. He's not asking for you to obey part of it. He's asking for you to obey all of it. And I would say east, west, north, and south of this church, there are people in need of Jesus. I'm telling you, God put this lighthouse here, and it's a pathway. Pathway Ministries means there's a pathway to God that you can come through here and find Jesus. Anybody on board with me tonight? It's time you rise up and accept what God's given you. Amen. I think it's time for this church to get over the 80-20 principle. Prato. You know what that is? of the people do 80% of the work. I wish that would change in the church. You realize what you could do? You realize what you could do in this church if everybody paid tithes? Y'all got a minute? Maybe he'll invite me back. Sometimes we complain over giving God 10% and we have to give the government about 35%. Hello? Hello? I got news for you. If you'll give God 10%, he'll do a whole lot more with it than our government has. They say, oh, we want to give you. You got to pay your taxes. You pay your taxes. We're going to feed the hungry. We got more people starving than we ever had. Hello? Hello? If church people would support what God is doing, there would be no limit to what you could do. I'm not telling you that you have to pay tithes to say, oh, I pay tithes. No. In fact, I'm going to change it. You don't pay tithes. How can you pay something that's not yours? (laughs) Amen. It's not yours anyway. He said, I'm going to let you keep 90%. And here we hold on to that 10%. We're like a dog with a towel in his mouth. God has to, hey, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't have a clue who does or who doesn't. I had a man come to me when I was at Summerton. I went to visit him just to go by and see him and say hello. He said, I guess you're here because, and to, because of my tithe. And I thought, well, you just confessed. I, I said, I don't have a clue where you paid tithes right. I'm not reading the list. But you see? God needs people to step up to the plate and say, this is what I'm going to Is this okay? You see, foretaste means I'm willing to do what I have to do. Can you imagine being at the walls of Jericho, and there's two million people plus maybe walking around those walls, and you're the last guy? And all those dusty sandals and feet are ahead of you? My goodness, imagine what you look like. I used to work for the State Highway Department when I graduated my high school. and was building roads, and I I'd, I'd, I'd looked like a man when I got home. Can you imagine? You're the last one, and it looks like it's not going to happen. Then you complete obedience. Say obedience. He doesn't want you. He wants your obedience. Obedience is what brings the blessing of God, because the only way they got to Jericho was to get across to the other side. Everybody okay? Give me the next verse I gave to you. I'm going to try to keep this thing moving so I don't go all that. Oh, the good thing about him putting scriptures up there, it's got the clock too. (laughs) Ruth 2.14. Look at this. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her. Say parched grain. And she ate and was satisfied, and she kept some back. Wow, who's Ruth? You know about Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. You know what the word Moab means? The word Moab means without a father. Who's your daddy? It was a place of evil, of desolation, and desert. The Lord blessed her because a family, and I don't understand this when you talk about Naomi and Elimelech, they grabbed their kids and they head from Bethlehem, Judah, to Moab. You know what they did? They went from Bethlehem, Judah, Bethlehem means house of bread, Judah means praise. They left the house of bread and praise and went to the desolated place. Never could figure it out. Why do people leave the church when they need it the most? Hello, they'll leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, and the house of praise, and they'll end up in the desert. You know what I found out with those folks? They always blame the church. Hello, they went into Moab. The two sons of Elimelech, and Naomi, married two of the women from Moab, which you wasn't supposed to do. Okay, that was not the way it was supposed to happen. They married them. Then Elimelech and the two sons died, and there was nobody left but Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and says, I'm not going to leave you. How many remember that in a wedding ceremony? Everybody says, I'll never leave you. Your people come by, people, and all this takes place. That's where it comes from. Orpah said, I can't go. Ruth said, I'm going with you. What are you saying? Ruth followed her. Uh, uh, mother-in-law into the house of bread and praise. When they got over there, the people said, Oh, Naomi's back. She said, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I am no longer longer pleasant. I am bitter. And when you go through trials, you're either going to get bitter or better. Hello, don't get stuck in bitter. Amen? And when they get to the other side, that's when she says to Ruth, I want you to, Ruth says, I'm going to go work the fields. I'm I'm doing this quickly because I could take a month and preach on this. But as she goes into the field, she's a gleaner. A gleaner is where when they did a field, they would leave the corners and the edges for the poor people. She'd go out there with her hapsack. She'd put it, load it down for she and her mother-in-law. She'd take it to her mother-in-law. But while she was doing that, a man named Boaz noticed her. Let me tell you something There's a scripture, I think it's in Ruth chapter 1, about verse 18. Here's what it said. Stay in the right field. Hey, stay in the right field. The reason you miss what God wants you to do is you get out of the field. She's in the right field, and he notices who she is, and he says to the reapers, who's that woman? Boy, she must have looked good. (laughs) Who is that woman? He said, I like her. Well, folks, you might, it's easy to figure out. She must not have been ugly. I mean, my goodness, there's no Hebrew word for that, okay? <laughs> and he says, take care of her. Don't you let anybody bother her. And he invited her over, and when he did, he gave her parched grain. You know what he said to Ruth? You may not know who I am. You may not understand where you're at, but I'm handing you a down payment. You're not always going to be working the field. <laughs> You're not always going to be poor. You're not always going to be helping your mother-in-law. I'm giving you a promise that this is an assurance to you that I will take care of you. See, Boaz is like our Jesus. And our Jesus, who is our kinsman redeemer, is who Boaz was, said to her, I'm going to take care of you. See, Eve blew it, folks. Hello? Eve ate the fruit, but Adam didn't tell her not to, so we won't get into that. But then sin entered, but when sin entered in Genesis chapter 2, about verse 15, he said to her, I'm going to take care of the human race because through your seed is coming a redeemer. And oh, my Lord, do you understand that Boaz said, I'm giving you a down payment. I will be back, I will take care of you. Woo! So what does he do? He not only gave her one. The scripture says that he gave her handfuls of purpose while she's in that field. Has anybody here ever worked a field? You ever worked around like uh, wheat and stuff like that? I used to work on a combine with my grandpa. Well, I called it work. I was a grandchild. I don't know if it was work or not. Okay, I don't want to go that far. But I'm telling you, when I got in at night, chaff, it was itching all over. And there she is. She's faithfully working. She's tired. She's taking care of her mother-in-law. And all of a sudden, she says, oh where'd that come from? Why did she get a handful of purpose? He was letting her know, I haven't forgotten my promise. I told you I'd take care of you. This is just another one to let you know that I'm going to keep my promise. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life I'm walking in my field. I can't put one foot in front of another. I don't understand what's going on. And all all of a sudden from heaven, there drops a handful of purpose. Woo! And he gives me another. You say, oh, I wish he'd give me the whole thing. You couldn't handle it. So he just gives you one at a time. You know why he does that? To keep you moving forward. To keep you moving forward. To keep you moving forward. And finally he decides, you know what, I'm going to marry this woman. And he goes, and what happens is she's got a, a man who can redeem her who's on Boaz. And Boaz goes to that man. Boy, this is a quick, this is the quickest I've ever preached the book of Ruth. And when they do that, he said to him, if you redeem uh, Ruth, you've got to take her mother-in-law too. And the guy said, "Uh, uh-uh, I don't want no mother-in-law. <laughs> go back and read it. I know it sounds funny. <laughs> so what did he say? He said, I tell you what, I'll redeem her. They had to go to the gate of the city. The gate of the city is where they made decisions for the city. It was like a court, okay? And there at the city, Boaz says to him, I wanna, I'd like to have Ruth. He said, okay, will you let me have her? He said, well, I can't afford her, and I don't want the mother-in-law. He said, I'll give her to you. So what does he do? He takes his shoe off, and he hands it to Boaz. You know what that said? This transaction is complete. I cannot afford her. I can't pay the price for her, so I'm going to give you my shoe. Come on, you still with me? Everybody still with me? Say amen. Don't miss what I'm about to do. In Galatians, it says that the law is a schoolmaster. Actually, what the word schoolmaster means in Greek is that he's the bus driver. The law was not the teacher. The law was the bus driver getting God's people from the law to the cross. When the bus was driven by the law, got to the cross, the law took Yeshua and looked up at Jesus on the cross and said, this is as far as I can go. I can't do anything else about it. You are the Redeemer, and I give you the shoe. You can redeem them and set them free. The law brought us to Jesus, and Jesus is going to take us on. Come on, give praise to the Lord. So Boaz said, I'll keep my promise, and he did. He took her back home. He said, you wait here till I show up. So, what was she doing? She's waiting at home. What's the matter? Boaz is coming. When? I don't know. He just told me he's coming back. Can I tell you something? Would you just settle down? Your Boaz told you he's coming back. Oh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto my son. Don't get anxious. He's coming back. Whew. You say, why is all this happening in the world? Because it's getting ready for him to come back. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and voice of the archangel, Trump of God, the dead and Christ arrives first. Let me tell you, he is coming back. Who is it? He's our kinsman, Redeemer. His name is Jesus, and he will keep his promise. He will come back. Amen. Amen. Woo! oh, I got a woo in me. That's coming out of my shoes. Look at this. Promise. Foretaste. Down payment. Give me the next one. It's in 1 Samuel 17, 17. 1 Samuel 17, 17. Look what it, Jesse said to David's son. Now take your brothers and eat of dried grain. There's the grain again, folks. There it is. And these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. What's going on? David has his little basket of grain, parched grain, cheeses and all this stuff. He's taking them to his brother's. Now, who's this young man taking this to his brothers? He's already been anointed king. Just because you've been anointed king, you may not have gotten there yet. Hello? When he was anointed king, he had to go back and tend the sheep. Can you imagine being little David and you go back to the sheep? And they say, I want you to know I am the king. And all he got was, bye. They don't care. See, people don't care. That you've been anointed for something. Hello? They don't know that. That's between you and God. Woo! Come on. And here's this little boy who'd been waiting, been faithful, and his father said, Hey son, I want you to run this over there to your brothers. Where are they They are fighting Goliath. Well, he wasn't, they wouldn't let him go. Can I stop here and divert a little bit? Well, nobody said yes, I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, David had been anointed king as a little. Boy, where was he? Out in the field with the sheep. Now, my Bible tells me, if I'm correct, that he was ruddy, which meant he was probably fair-skinned and possibly had blonde hair. Does that make sense to everybody if you don't say amen? If that is true, and it is, maybe He was so insignificant to a Jewish household, Jesse didn't even bother with him, because he didn't fit. Ooh, did you hear me? Somebody say amen so I can keep going. He didn't fit. He didn't look like a Jew, not if he's fair-skinned, not if he had a ruddy face and blonde hair, but all of his brothers went before Samuel. No, 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 no. No, no, no. What does Samuel say? Jesse, you got any more? Well, yeah, I got one. He's just a little guy. He's out there watching sheep. You know what the scripture says in 1 Samuel 15 or 16? He says, go get him. Here's here's what you might miss. Go back and read it again. He said, you go get him. We won't sit down until he gets here. You know what Samuel was saying? It's none of these guys. You ain't got but one left, and the Lord told me out here, it's got to be him, so don't you sit down. Hello, God has a plan. Don't sit down. God knows what he's doing. Don't sit down. Stand up where you're supposed to be because God knows what he's doing. He brings that little shepherd boy in. He pours the oil on his head. He anoints him king. He goes back to the sheep. This is a, few ta- a little while later, and he's carrying his cheese, and he's carrying parched grain. And the parched grain says, this is just a foretaste of what's about to happen in your life. That's when he sees the giant, and I'm going through it very quickly, and he sees the giant and says, I will fight him. He's carrying what? Say foretaste. He's looking at his future. Your future may just be a little piece of grain or a biscuit, but it's your future. Are y'all getting this? I need some help now. Come on. You've got to understand your future is not plastered on a big screen somewhere. It's in your heart, and it might just be a little piece of grain. That may be all you get. You've got to keep going. Foretaste, foretaste. What do you do about a foretaste? There's something else coming. What happens with a down payment? Something else is coming. So the foretaste that says to him, I am going to take care of your future, no longer are you going to be watching sheep. And he faced the giant, took the giant down cut his head off, and then he went begin to progress toward becoming king. Folks, don't give up. What God is doing in a service like today is giving you a little taste. Giving you a little taste. Oh, my, 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 my. Can you guys throw a scripture up there right quick? I hate to do you this way, but I'm going to try it, okay? Can you put up there Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I want you to see this. It says, you were sealed. Look at this. You were sealed. I believe that says that Ephesians. Yeah. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee. I, know, I believe I got the wrong thing. Yeah, there it is. Guarantee. What? Say Guarantee. You know what that is? Down payment. Where's your down payment? Where's your foretaste? How do I know? Look at this scripture. You have who? The Holy Spirit. Where is he? He's in here. And every time he manifests through you, every time you feel his presence, he's saying to you, this is just a taste of what's coming. Do you hear me? Spirit-filled people, do you understand that every time the Spirit manifests through you, speaks through you, works through you, he is saying to you, this is a down payment of your inheritance. You got something coming that's beyond anything you've ever seen. If you'll just keep going and take that down payment and stand on it and know this is what God has promised. How many of you know the Holy Spirit lives inside of you right now? My Bible also tells me in the book of Romans that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. What does that mean? That means right now the Holy Spirit is moving through me. He's saying, down payment, down payment, down payment. You're going to get it. I promised you an inheritance. You're going to get it. I'm not waiting on an inheritance when I get in heaven. I'm going to get it now. When I get to heaven, I don't need the inheritance. I'll have everything I need. But right now, he's guaranteeing me an inheritance every time the Holy Spirit moves through me he is saying through me down payment down payment this is it Whew. would you lift your hands and honor him in this house oh Lord let us take hold of what you are saying here tonight and know Lord that you will keep your promise Whew. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me, please? Would you stand with me, please? Oh. 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 Father, 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 we thank you that you have given us a down payment. You have put earnest money for us. And that earnest money says you will keep your promise. And now your Holy Spirit is moving through us. The guarantee, the promise will be fulfilled just as you said. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lift your hands with me just for a moment and just honor him. Honor him. This is what he's telling me to do, so this is what I'm going to do. I want everybody in this building that has the ability to do it to walk up here in this altar right now. Come on. Come on. Come on, come on close now. It's all right. I won't do anything to you unless the Lord leads me to do it, so don't get afraid of me. You never know what I'm going to do, but you know. Pastor, the Holy Spirit is stirring me with the word shift. Somebody, everybody say it. Say Shift. Say it again. Shift. It's an acronym. Listen. Suddenly, heaven invades forcing transformation. Say shift. He is going to give this ministry a suddenly. Whew. Don't you miss it. Don't you? Uh, did you hear me? Say Shift. Suddenly, heaven invades forcing transformation. We're good at inspiration. We're good at information. We don't do too good at transformation. Because transformation means a commitment from you to God that you've never done before. Transformation means you'll never be the same person you were. Amen? Shout it loud with me. Shift. Wow. Now look at me. I didn't know the Lord was going to do it this way, but He said, You are now tasting of what's out there. He is preparing you today for what He has in your future. But the only way you're going to get to it is walk towards your future. The only way you're going to see it. <sighs> Arise, my children, the task is great, but I am greater. If you will raise your head and you will look, you will see that the fields are ripe to harvest. I am telling you, it is your time. Take your place. Reach into the harvest and you will reap what I have promised. If you believe that, give praise unto the Lord. How many believe there's a harvest out there? How many believe the harvest is for you? How many believe the only way the harvest can make it is if you go out there and get it? Amen. I don't like to have you stand and preach, but I'm going to preach about one minute. John chapter 4. The disciples came back. Jesus ministered to the woman at the well. When he ministered to the woman at the well, she went into the town. She went to a town of Samaritans. Samaritans were the scum of the earth. Jews had nothing to do. With the Samaritans, she goes into town. The disciples show up. Say, "We got food for you." He said, "I got food you don't know about. Woo! I don't want some of that food nobody knows about." I said, "I want some of that food nobody knows about." He said, "You're bringing me a hamburger from McDonald's. I don't need it." Amen. But what what happens is, the Samaritans are following this woman. Who are they? The low life, the dejected, the outcast. We can't have anything to do with them. That is Samaritans. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 4. Lift up your head. You know why? They didn't want to see them. Are you you hearing me? He said, lift up your head. I want you to look and see. There comes your harvest. It's the people you don't want to be around. Let me tell you something. It's not just time for the church to minister just to the poor and the down and out. It's time to get the rich outcasts too. Hello? We're afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Go in and tell them that Jesus loves them. Well, what if they throw you out? Go to somebody else and do it again. It doesn't matter. The harvest is ready. They need laborers in the harvest. But sure, I don't know where to go with this. I honestly don't know. You want to preach? Oh, y'all in trouble now? I feel like okay. from this Sunday to next Sunday, one week, Mm-hmm. to go out into the harvest. And come back and testify. Yes. Okay. Because this is happening before a miracle. Yes. Amen. All right, I'm going to listen to her, okay? She said to challenge you that in one week you come back with a testimony. Everywhere you go, starting tonight, if you go to Burger King, say, Lord, why am I here? Lord, what do you want me to do? You say, how does that work? Try it and you'll see. Because I was in a uh, Cracker Barrel over in Trustville, Alabama. We were eating, and the waitress kept coming by, and the Holy Spirit said, you need to talk to her. I wish I could tell you I was always obedient. I said, well, not now. Isn't that how we do it? Not now. She came back, and the Holy Spirit, when she left, said, talk to her. Came back, and she brought my check. And the Holy Spirit said, you're about to run out of time. I said, okay. I looked up at her. I said, young lady, do you need prayer about something? You know how she answered me? No. She said, but. She said, don't get upset. She said, no. But my hostess does. And she brought her to the table, and we had a little prayer meeting. Hello, see, my heart sunk for a moment. No, again, she said, "I got to go get the hostess." Brought her back. We had a little prayer meeting. We had a little prayer meeting one time out in Branson, Missouri, at a Cracker Barrel. We had two people get involved. One got praying. We prayed with her. And the other lady heard it before, folks. Last week, I was in a. Uh, where was it? Oh, was it the Shrimp Basket? If you want to know where I'm at and find me, I'm at the Shrimp Basket. <laughs> And the lady came back. I wasn't paying attention. I looked up at the waitress. I said, she said, have a great day. I said, you have a blessed day. The lady in the next table came by my table. She said, I just want to thank you. I've just never heard anybody say have a blessed day. I said, well, try it. It works. Hello. And we began to talk with her and help her. But you see, God will open the door. You're the one that's got to turn the knob. Come on. We sit back and wait. Oh, Lord, send them my way. No, 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 no. He's saying, go get them. Everybody in agreement with me? Amen. Hold your right hand up with me. Father, I pray over them (laughs) a moving of the Holy Spirit in their life that will drive them to reach the lost, to reach the destitute, to reach the sick, the discouraged, the despair. Lord, you're going to use them as instruments in your hand. When they come back next Sunday, they're going to have a testimony. Somebody, this pastor's going to get up here and tell about what God did this week. And because, Lord, we know it's about the harvest. We're going to lift up our heads, lift up our eyes, and we're going to see that there's a harvest that we have to go get. And we're going to gather them in. In the name of Jesus, use them for your glory. And everybody shout amen. amen. Now remember, amen means I agree. Say amen. Amen. I agree. Anybody need prayer about it? Come on, Pastor. I don't want to leave without praying for somebody if you need prayer about something. Anybody? Everybody's okay? Well, praise the Lord. Hey, I love you. How many of you will pray for me as I travel? Please pray for me. Somebody said, you're going to die on the road. I said, it doesn't matter.